Good news, good news, good news. Welcome to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh and so glad to know that uh, you are able to make us a part of your day today and every day. And I, I realize that there are a lot of people who listen on a regular basis, or I think as the kids would say, they listen on the regular. Um, <laughs> I, it's, life's just getting too short to pronounce the whole word uh, or say the whole sentence. But if you listen on a regular basis, thank you. I appreciate that. And, and thank you too for, you know, we have a lot of people who have been with the Bottom Line Show. We're coming up on, my goodness, here we are in August of 2023. On September 19th, the Bottom Line Show will turn 12. We will enter that ugly prepubescent season in life where you're not really uh, a child anymore, but you're not quite a teenager. 12 is just one of those uh, years. It's kind of like being 20, right? You know, you're a teenager up until you're 19. You're not technically an adult till you're 21. So when you're 20 or when you're 12, it's just kind of like, uh it's like being 47, you know, <laughs> there's, there's nothing special about those years. So the bottom line gets ready to move into uh, adolescence and puberty next month. And, and for those who've been tuning in, the reason I bring that up is there are a lot of folks who tune into the program and they, uh, they'll, they'll say, Hey, this is my first time calling. How long have you been listening? 10 years, you know? And I think I can't help but think, I, I love to share this joke. Uh, this is one my dad used to tell when I was younger. Uh, the about a family where uh, there was a boy in the family who never spoke and he was perfectly normal perfectly healthy it's just he didn't speak and he would function he'd get along he learned how you know the basics of potty training and he was doing well in school they talked to his teachers he just never spoke and and the, but they thought everything was fine I mean he would eat his meals and you know exercise play with the other kids he just never spoke and so one night they're sitting at the table he's about 10 years of age and uh, they're going around the you know family table talking about the day and finally uh um the mom his mom looks at him and says uh, joey how how was your dinner and he doesn't even look up he keeps eating goes needs more salt and everybody drops their spoons and forks and what you for 10 years you've been part of our family and you've never said a word and now all of a sudden you can speak and and this is what you said and then finally his father said son why have you been quiet? I mean, what? Why? Why did you not say anything? And he looked at it very matter-of-factly, and he said, "Well, up until now, everything was fine." <laughs> and I wonder how many people, you know, are, are listening to the program, and and you've enjoyed it, and you've benefited from it. Maybe you've prayed for some of the people. Maybe you've even supported uh, the outreaches, like uh, Preborn or Alliance Defending Freedom or you know, whatever. But you just never bother calling the show. Well, I want to encourage you today to give us a call at 800-227-5278. It is Good News Friday, and on Good News Friday, we always uh, like to have things to give away, and we do have a, a really interesting book. Um, I'm finding more and more authors are taking chances, which is good. Um, was it last Friday? Uh, we had a pastor on with us, uh, uh, Pastor Benjamin uh, Whitney, who uh, was talking about how he had this book, Good Catastrophe, and it was kind of a modern-day retelling of the story of Job and why, you know, not everything that happens to us that looks like it's bad on the outside is actually bad eternally. Uh, today, we're going to get into another Old Testament character um, and put a modern contemporary spin on it that not only will resonate with our crowd, especially in areas like uh, San Diego and San Bernardino Riverside, as far as where there's military activity, 
But also when you see what's happening in Russia and Ukraine and, you know, where does the U.S. go from this and are we getting any closer? Remember, a year and a half ago, everyone thought we were on the verge of World War III when Russia invaded Ukraine. Uh, people seem to have forgotten that Russia and Ukraine are still battling and we're just going to sit here going, what are you guys going to do? Okay. So there are battles being fought all over the place. And uh, our guest today here on the program is going to talk about another battle and another Old Testament book that shows us in very contemporary terms what it's like to be a military spouse. So we're going to get into that and give you a chance to win a copy of that book as well. So have your dialing fingers handy at 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800 the number to get you through to the bottom line. Now, the world is complex. We know that. We know that there are a lot of issues that the media would like to try to isolate and put into boxes. You know, like say immigration, we, we, we need to have a common sense solution for immigration. Well, is it do we slow down admissions coming across the border? Do we build a wall? Do we tighten up the laws? Why is it that a million people can immigrate from Central and South America legally into the U.S. every year and another million come in illegally? I mean, there's there's so many different issues. And why do Democrats and Republicans point fingers at each other and not come up with immigration issues? Uh, resolve, but then it seems like they're benefiting both parties from illegal immigration. So why would they have any incentive? And then there's the issue now of the human trafficking that's become uh, more commonplace for people to be aware of this. And you've got like the current administration here in the U.S. saying, well, don't be surprised if people coming across the border are, we're going to see an, infl an increase in the number of people who are transgender and they're seeking asylum because they're going to get, you know, uh, thrown in prison in their home country and we have to have places for them to be. And uh, trust me, if you are trying to smuggle somebody in illegally, especially a minor, and you know that California has laws that protect that minor from extradition if they claim to be transgender, you bet your bottom dollar that you're going to see a spike in the number of teenagers who all of a sudden start flooding the southern American border to come in here for, quote unquote, transgender reassignment surgery. So, you know, that you see that happen. And then you got people coming in from the, you know, they're coming into Galveston through China. You know, I mean, it, it's a huge network of people who are being trafficked and moved and coming into our country illegally. And trust me, when people say, well, you know, I mean, we should, uh, uh, the sojourners and open borders and this, that, and the other thing. I mean, let's not mistake anything here, brothers and sisters. As Christians, when we see the sojourner, the sojourner was a legal alien. They didn't just wander in here and say, I'm seeking asylum. When scripture tells us that we should be kind to the sojourner, that was somebody who literally was traveling from one country to another. Maybe they were going to stop for several months and work or visit family or do whatever, and we shouldn't treat them any differently than we would a regular citizen. But not somebody who just blows in here and says, where's the free stuff? You know, and there are a lot of people who do because the U.S. government tells them, come to the U.S. and get free stuff. You don't have to be a citizen. You don't have to be here legally. As a matter of fact, we'll do everything we can to keep you undocumented. Remember about uh, 10 years ago, the young man who uh, had been brought in from Mexico to the United States, he was about one or two. He was kind of one of the first dream people, you know, the Dreamer Act. And he was considered undocumented, even though he was elected student body president at UC Berkeley. And yet he was not documented as a human citizen of California in the United States. How much paperwork did that guy need to be going to school, to be getting federal and state assistance, whatever, and yet they couldn't find a way to begin the process to help him and his family become citizens? 
there was so much documentation for him being here illegally and undocumented. It was really kind of a joke. So when you see people who are, you know, the, the bleeding heart motif or people seeking asylum, and this, please know, as much as our hearts are empathetic for people who really are trying to seek a better life, and you probably know people, and we've had bottom line listeners who called me and said, hey, this is great. The DREAM Act was the best thing that ever happened to me. My family came here seeking asylum 20 years ago. I loved immigrating to the U.S. It's fantastic. And I don't, you know, find fault in, in that. But please know that when you see these stories about illegal immigration, there's a lot of trafficking behind it. And Europol, which is the law enforcement agency of the European Union, uh, there's been a huge bust that involved thousands of Cuban nationals and was turning a multi-million dollar profit every year. And now an investigation and a bit of a sting operation has led to the arrest of 62 smugglers who were, as they say, exploiting vulnerable Cubans. The network focused on Cubans who were, you know, in tough situations. And they were, they were being flown all over the world, literally. They were being flown from Cuba to Serbia. Then they would fly them to Greece. Then they would fly them to Spain or to Italy. There was this whole network of places where they went all throughout Europe. About 5,000 Cuban nationals were smuggled into the European Union. And the average fee that they were paying was $10,000. Now, either they were paying the $10,000 or that was basically the price for their head. Now, in addition to all of this, uh, police officers in uh, Spain, Greece, and Serbia actually were able to uh, apprehend quite a bit of uh, criminal assets as well. Uh, they found hundreds of forged documents, forgery equipment, 18 pieces of real estate, 33 vehicles, vast sums of cash in various currencies, and 144 bank accounts. Now, there are 22, 23, 24, as many as 30 million people being trafficked. So on the one hand... The 5,000 people who were rescued is kind of a drop in the bucket. But the fact that this many countries were involved and this many countries worked together and that 62 traffickers were apprehended, that is the encouraging news. And it's nice to see people of faith like Tim Ballard involved in this fight as well. It's amazing that uh, we find ourselves in a world where the buying and selling of people is becoming the hottest commodity for those who deal in the what we used to call drug trafficking. But I'm grateful to see men and women of faith stepping up and stepping out to fight hard in this battle. And we're starting to see more victories. Praise God for that. We'll put this article up at thebottomlineshow.com. You can have a look as well. Speaking of battle, it's amazing how many people who are doing battle right now, military families, military spouses, members of the military, will find comfort in reading stories in the Old Testament about when men and women of faith were called into question. There was a day not long ago when Jessica Manfrey, military spouse, was reading through the book of Ruth and she had an epiphany. She said, you know, we do look at Ruth and uh, Naomi and Boaz of the kinsman redeemer, but what if we considered the fact that Ruth is really the story of every military spouse? 
She began to write a Bible study about it. The Bible study has now become a book, and the book is available at thebottomlineshow.com. It's called Never Alone, Ruth, the Modern Military Spouse and the God Who Goes With Us. Now, it's Good News Friday today, so we have a giveaway. We're going to be giving away a copy of Jessica's book, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line to win the one copy of this book that we're giving away today. Jessica Manfrey joins me next as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account, Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Well, today here on The Bottom Line, we're going to get into a conversation about a part of Scripture that you may not have, you're very familiar with, but you may not have looked at it through modern eyes the way my guest today has done so. Jessica Manfrey is with me today here on The Bottom Line. She's a licensed uh, uh, marriage and family therapist. She has a master's degree in social work and uh, also undergraduate degree as well. And she has written a book called Never Alone. The subtitle is really intriguing, and I want to to get right into it from the get-go. Ruth, the modern military spouse, and the God who goes with us. We've got a link to this book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Jessica Manfrey, welcome to The Bottom Line Show. Thank you so much for having me. Military Connection with Ruth. Didn't see that one coming. (laughs) Give us kind of a 60-second, even a 90-second overview of uh, the the aha moment when God showed you that Ruth and the military spouse have an awful lot in common. Yeah, no, it really was an aha moment because for me, Ruth has always been one of my favorite books in the Bible. I love the rich narration. I just think it's, you know, a wonderful story. And you can take so much from from reading it. Mm -hmm. Uh, When I was kind of formulating this book and what I wanted it to look like. I knew I wanted to, you know, get intimate and share personal experiences. I wanted to bring in clinical aspects, but then I really wanted it to be scripturally based. And so when I was literally sitting down with the Bible and coffee, I went to Ruth naturally. And when I read the words, where you go, I go, it was just literally, Mm. I couldn't even tell you. It was so profound. I was like, this is it. You know, not only does it describe the faith that we hold, you know, in our marriages, but I mean, I could see it in my military spouse friendships, you know, mm-hmm. just that bond with Ruth and Naomi. And so it was just, it was a really powerful moment. I love yeah. it. I love it. Jessica Manfrey with me today here on the bottom line of the brand new book is called Never Alone, Ruth, the Modern Military Spouse and the God Who Goes With Us. We have a link for the book up at the thebottomlineshow.com. Jessica, your husband's in the Coast Guard. Uh, how mm-hmm. long have you been a military spouse? He has been serving for 22 years. We've been together Mm -hmm. for 18 of those and married 15. So it's it's been, 
Yeah, I'm uh, I'm what we call seasoned. I think that's a nice way of saying old. <laughs> I like that seasoned, and yet at the same time, let's let's be perfectly frank here. I mean, the fact that he has a 22 year military career and you guys have been together for 18 and married for 15 means you knew what you were getting into when you married a military guy, or did you know what you were getting into completely? Can, can anyone ever really know what to experience, especially for a woman who says that guy is in uniform and he's going to be traveling the world and that is just so cool? Oh, wait, we're married. That means I'm going with him. Yes, it uh, it was definitely an awakening. And I really didn't have a sense of what it was going to be like. You know, military has um, definitely been a part of my family's, you know, legacy. My grandfather was in the Korean War. The uncle who raised me after my father left was a Vietnam War veteran. And I had, you know, further back. But like in my present, um, you know, sphere, it was not a part of my life. And then obviously, you know, 9-11 happened and so many of the the guys I went to school with signed up and went, but I never dreamed that that was going to be my life, you know, and I, I never dreamed it was going to turn into what it has. Has it been an incredible adventure? Absolutely. I've done things and seen places and had opportunities that never would have happened had I stayed in my this small hometown. But it was also really hard too. I think about all of the Christmases I missed. I think mm. about the moments that my family shared where I was missing or I called in, you know, for part of it. And right. so it definitely is a tremendous, you know, sacrifice. And but it also made me realize that um, being intentional is really important with the time that you're given. Jessica Manfrey is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. Her book is called Never Alone. It's a fascinating look at the book of Ruth from the perspective of someone who's a military spouse and, and, and deals with issues like that that are so important in everyday life, whether you're a military spouse or not. And uh, we've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Uh, Jessica, for, for, put your therapist hat on for just a moment here and talk to us about what it means to be connected. We've we've seen over the past three years, a lot of people having their lives disrupted because of, you know, the pandemic and not being able to to be together, whether it's in church or in community at work or in the neighborhood or just visiting people. But then you start to see that more and more people are feeling a lot more isolated. And uh, for some introverts like me, I was like, yeah, I could welcome the break. You know, to not have to be around people all the time. But what we, each of us do, I mean, God created us for relationship. He created us for relationship with him. Talk about the why the need for connection, real meaningful connection is so fundamental and what we can learn from Ruth about that need for connection. Well, you know, I completely agree with everything that you said. You know, having community and having connection is vitally important. Loneliness is something that, you know, as a society, we've suffered with for a long time. Military spouses have known it for quite some time. And that's why I picked that topic for this book, you know, back in late 2020. The Surgeon General in 2023 actually, you know, came out and said that it is literally wreaking havoc on mental health and referred to it as almost a crisis. Now I could have told them that, you know, obviously right. we all, we all weathered that during the pandemic, you know, the isolation, not being near our loved ones. But truly when you think about, you know, you mentioned you're an introvert, that means you have your, my husband is very similar. He has his five friends and he doesn't need any more. He has a right. family, you know, his work friendships, and then the people he chooses to interact with here and there. Because it's a lot of energy we're putting out and pouring into other people. And then mm -hmm. what do we have left for ourselves, right? right? But not having any kind of support system, 
to lean on. You know, when we look at Naomi, you know, losing her husband and losing right. her two sons, mm-hmm. her reaction was to flee back home and push her daughter's in law away. You know, that was just her mindset. I'm bitter. I'm, I'm unhappy. I have nothing to offer for you. Go away. And Ruth was like, oh, no, girlfriend, we're going together. We're going to do this together. <laughs> yeah. You know, like this, this isn't how it's going to be. And we need, we desperately need people like that in our lives. And I, I hope that by the time people finish the book, they realize that God really is always with us. You know, he's yeah. there in those moments of despair um, and in the moments of beauty, too. We just need to, you know, remember. Yeah, I'm talking, with, I'm talking with Jessica Manfrey today here on The Bottom Line. Her book is called Never Alone, and we have a link for it up at thebottomlineshow.com. You mentioned the Ruth and Naomi thing, and I, I think it's 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 important for us to understand that, I mean, because you have a mother-in-law, daughter-in-law situation here, and quite frankly, that isn't always the best relationship, you know, in a family. The family dynamics there could have been really wild. But to have Ruth say, oh, no, we're going through this. They have a commonality. They have a common pain, if you will. They're both widows. I mean, and, and mm-hmm. in, a, in a patriarchal society like they were in, they really didn't have anybody else but each other to lean on. So while it was somewhat noble of Naomi to say, no, you go on. Yeah, I'm going back home and you just you go on and, you know, you live your life, find another guy. And it, it almost has kind of a tinge of don't worry about me. I'll be OK. <laughs> you know, and and for for Ruth to say, no, 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 we're doing this together. Talk about why. Sometimes the best relationships really are born out of pain, loss, suffering, hurt, that type of thing. You know, grief is a really um, difficult topic for a lot of people to navigate. You know, when you talk about loss, loss of a loved one, it makes people uncomfortable. You know, when I think of, um, I mean, even family members I have, when they would discuss, like, I have a cousin who died in his 40s, and when my aunt would bring him up, it would make people around her uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And I always wondered why she's, she's living his memory. She's reminding of all of us that he was here. He mattered, you know, mm-hmm. but when you find someone else who also is walking through that kind of pain, there's definitely a connection there, you know, on a deeper level, you know, because uh, not everybody around you can understand what you're going through. And a perfect example I'll give is in the book, I talk about, you know, having a miscarriage. And just the cold way the doctor reacted when I was asking questions. But then a nurse came in later and said, me too. She Mm. didn't know me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But in that moment, we were more connected than anything else. We both had that shared loss. And so it really is a powerful thing. Um, And I also feel like, you know, we have an opportunity to redeem our hurt when we're able to connect with someone else walking that path and say, I was there. I, I feel you. I know deeply what you're feeling right now. And I'm here. Like you're not alone. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So could that have been, you know, the relationship with Ruth and Naomi? Like I'm feeling it too, but you know what? I love you. I love your God. He loves us. And I'm going to hold you know, fast to faith, a pagan woman, you know? So it's just, it's pretty miraculous, but yeah, yeah. I do agree. I think pain is something that we can kind of, you know, ease into as a connection, you know, as, as odd as it is. I'm talking with Jessica Manfrey today here on The Bottom Line. Uh, she's the author of a brand new book called Never Alone. And it's a fascinating look. If you've ever studied the book of Ruth, and most of us have, 
Um, when you take a look at Ruth and you compare her life, kind of juxtapose it with the modern military spouse, you see a connection. And the connection is the God who goes with us, that we are never alone in our painful situation. The book is outstanding. We've got a link for it up at thebottomlineshow.com. On the other side of this break, we're going to talk about some of the ways that Jessica recommends and talks about the healing part of the equation too, because oftentimes we do find ourselves in a situation where you get wounded, you learn how to walk with a limp, and then you figure, okay, this is just my lot, rather than saying, okay, well, it's enough for God to go with you, but is it more than enough to ask him to heal you? We'll talk about that with uh, Counselor Jessica Manfrey in just a moment as the bottom line continues. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh here on this Good News Friday. We're having a great conversation with author and counselor Jessica Manfrey. Uh, Jessica is a military spouse who one day was flipping through the book of Ruth and went, huh, <laughs> epiphany time. Ruth is the story of a military spouse. Uh, a, goes on a brave journey. She experiences loss and loneliness and loyalty. I mean, these are the hallmarks of a military life and especially the military spouse. And so she wrote a, uh, not a memoir of sorts, but a Bible study that makes it easier for those who are military spouses to relate to what others have gone through in the past and use Ruth as kind of a model. The book is called Never Alone, Ruth, the Modern Military Spouse and the God Who Goes With Us. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And here on this Good News Friday, we have a copy of the book to give away too. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, the book is called Never Alone, the Ruth, the Modern Military Spouse and the God Who Goes With Us. 800-227-5278, is the number to get you through to the bottom line. We'll take a quick break and as we continue, I want to focus on uh, more of this amazing story about Ruth and her incredible life. Not only the loyalty that she has as a kind of a military spouse, but I mean, the fact that there are some clinical, clinical mental health implications of loneliness and the need for connection is so important. Ruth and Naomi's connection really propels both of them into the relationship with Boaz and finding a closer uh, connection to God in the process. We'll talk more about that with uh, counselor and author Jessica Manfrey on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. You're a Christian who's been injured, so you need Christian attorney Stephanie Cover of Cover Law to fight for you. With Stephanie, it's not just a routine legal process. It's a spiritual battle. She understands that a legal fight involves more than flesh and blood. It means confronting principalities and powers, and that's why she consistently prays with and for her clients. She forms long-lasting relationships with her clients, just as you would expect from someone who engages in spiritual battle alongside another believer. Praise for Stephanie pours in through cards, thank you texts, and letters from clients who thank her for checking up on them, coming to see them in the hospital, praying, and even finding alternative care when current care is inadequate. Inspired by Jesus' command to love one another, Stephanie uses her skill as an attorney and knowledge of insurance processes to fight for your completeness and healing. Don't wait any longer. Contact Stephanie Cover today at kbrightradio.com slash cover and let her take up your spiritual battle. 
Jessica Manfrey is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. It's nice to say military wife instead of military widow. We have a lot of you know experts who come on the program here who are writing from that perspective. But Jessica uh, is uh, the proud wife of her husband, Scott, who's a member of the U.S. Coast Guard, 22-year career, and she's also a mother of two. She's a licensed social worker and an author, also the chief financial officer of the nonprofit organization called Inspire Up, which we'll get into in just a moment. She's the author of a brand new book called Never Alone, Ruth, the Modern Military Spouse and the God Who Goes With Us. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Uh, Jessica, talk about uh, Inspire Up, if you would. Uh, what, what was the, the impetus for that, the beginning of that ministry? Yeah, and it's, 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 I love that you call it a ministry because I didn't realize that that's what it was for us until about a year ago mm. when I had a good friend say, okay, you're volunteering your time. You spent the last two years doing this. This is your ministry. Mm-hmm. But um, it really was born out of loving kindness. You know, we were asked to run a campaign uh, for the military called Giving Tuesday Military through Giving Tuesday's, you know, headquarters. And we were sitting down thinking about what our mission was going to be, what our goal was going to be. It really was kindness, not fundraising, mm-hmm. just encouraging people to go out to their communities and serve and be kind. Um it was crazy, the most wild couple of months I've ever had. You know, one minute you're coming up with an idea, the next you're talking to Kelly Clarkson about it. It was just wow. not anything that I could have, you know, fathomed. And it was transformative. And so when the day was over, the girls and I sat down and we realized we didn't want it to be about one day. We wanted to serve and, and stand in the gap all year long. And so with that, Inspire Up was formed, and that's why we named it that, because we wanted to be sure people knew that our mission wasn't about us or mm-hmm. whatever you know we're doing that looks shiny over here. It was about inspiring the next wave of good. Mm, I love that. And when you think about the story of Ruth that you write about in your book, Never Alone, there's a nice parallel there between the fact that, uh, that, that the inspiration of Ruth coming alongside Naomi and saying, look, we're both widows, let's go this journey together, her, that both of them taking a, a venture, if you will, uh, to a, a faraway land and, and winding up saying, okay, well, ordinarily two widows wouldn't really have a leg to stand on between the two of us here. But Ruth does actually find some redemption, finds her kinsman redeemer. And the, the name of the game here is we see restoration. We see healing. We see, uh, you know, a new opportunity here. One of the things you write about in the book, Never Alone, is the fact that we're never alone, even when it feels like the loneliness is more than we can handle. But God is leading us through our own story of redemption during those hardships as well. Talk about what it takes, you know, what our hearts have to be ready to do. It's bad enough to have to acknowledge the loneliness, but then to say, look, if God is here, God can heal. What what are some of the steps Mm -hmm. that we should be taking to move in that direction? Absolutely. Um, you know, we all have defense mechanisms as human beings, what we do, you know, when we're in certain situations, you know, okay. fight, fight, uh, freeze or fawn. And a lot of us, I mean, depending on the situation, we box it up. We can't react right there in that moment. There's certain situations that certainly make sense. Police officers in the line of duty, yeah. soldiers on the battlefield, even if someone next to, next to them is, is killed or harmed, they cannot react to that. They have to focus on this. The problem comes later when we've never unpacked that box we've never processed it Mm. so when it comes to healing i am you know when i i will tell you that nine times out of ten when i do an intake with a patient who's coming to me you know with symptoms of depression anxiety i will go back and ask about childhood trauma i will you know do the scale and ask them certain questions and try to understand what their growing years were like 
very often there's stuff and baggage, if you will, that's never been unpacked and dealt with. And you can't move forward and deal with the issues of today if you have not unpacked over here. And so when it comes to healing, you know, I've heard many people who have said, well, if God is real, why did he allow this to happen? Why did he allow that to happen? And it's, you know, I'm not a scholar, but what I say is, you know, he doesn't prevent pain, right? right. He's not going to prevent, you know, it, but, but it can be redeemed, you know, through his love and through understanding it. And so I really try and, you know, hone in on a mix of like mental health and like the techniques that are really valuable and God's word and forgiveness. Sometimes it means forgiving yourself. Mm. You know? Yes. Yes. Amen. Amen to that. And uh, it's amazing how in the current culture, I, I have this conversation with my wife quite often. We're both similar in age and grew up around the same time. And, uh, you know, I grew up with phrases in our home, like, you know, I would never forgive myself if, you know, that th those types of things that, and, and the culture says, oh, that's very shamey. Well, wait a minute. I mean, you know, the, that having a measure of self-respect is good if it's healthy. But if it's unhealthy, then it, you carry it around for the rest of your life. I can never get over the fact that I'm responsible for, and then, mm -hmm. you know, whatever it is, and said, wait a minute, if God has forgiven all of your sin, you know, and made a way for you to repent and ask for forgiveness and live a newness of life, you think he can't heal that. And yet, mm -hmm. let's face it, how many of us are still, I'm in my 60s, but I'm sure there are still some parts of my life that I'm processing like I'm six or eight or 15. Mm -hmm. And and yeah, you deal with that a lot. Talk, we got about four minutes left in our conversation. Help us kind of reframe the thought process. You know, for someone who's been listening to this conversation and say, wow, I never looked at Ruth as a military spouse. I never looked at the similarities there. Maybe they have a military background and the, the loneliness thing is been real and they've, they've got a lot of hurt from that or maybe it's just the pain of the past and they're looking for god to redeem it i know this is a very tall order jessica manfrey but uh, how, what are some first steps we can take you know short of getting into a full-blown therapy session with you oh i love it so you know when i wrote this book obviously it was intended for veteran and military spouses but i'm clear in my introduction we all have a shared feeling of being lonely especially after the pandemic yep. Yep. and you know when it comes to unpacking and building resilience or grit, as I prefer to call it, it really starts with what are the painful things that we choose not to think about? How do we view it? What is the lens that we look at it? You know, when I think about you in my own life, you know, I'm 38 years old, I've made a lot of mistakes. I'm gonna keep making mistakes. You know, I have things I wish I could, you know, take an eraser and go over, but I can't. What I choose to do is look at it and think about, okay, how can I use this for the future? You know, how can I, you know, take this painful thing and have it be something good, you know, bring light to it, if you will, when it's dark. But it really starts with acknowledging it. You know, um, I grew up in a family, uh, you know, it's, it's something that's carried over, right? We talk about it now openly, where it was just put under the rug. If there was a, a, a nasty disagreement or, you know, my father was an alcoholic, we just don't talk about that. He's right. just not here. So then I'm growing up as a child and it wasn't intentional on my mother's part, but, you know, I feel like if I, if I had had more honest conversations, I would have contemplated in context, right, appropriately for my age, what was going on with my dad instead of assuming right. um, it's right. me. I'm a bad kid. He doesn't want to be around because I'm bad, you know, because those are the kind of thoughts that children have. Um, sure. And so I would say step one is acknowledging it. Step two is recognizing that, you know, there are certain situations I've had people, even, you know, patients come to me and say, why is it my job to forgive them? And yeah. I keep, you know, I, I'm like, reframe that. It has nothing to do with that person. You're doing right, it for you. Right, right, 
Yes. You are taking that bitterness, that anger, that sadness, whatever it is you have wrapped around that memory, and you're saying, I'm not allowing it to touch my life anymore. Um, it doesn't mean that you have to allow toxic people back in your life because you've forgiven them. That's, that's not what it is. Pray for them. Pray that they learn and grow. You know, that, that's wonderful, but you're doing it for you. And so it starts with acknowledging it. You know, I am a deep believer in connecting you know, with other people, like we've yes. talked about, who have gone through similar things. I think that shared conversation is super helpful. And I obviously am a proponent of therapy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. if, you, if, you, if you find yourself, you know, trying to do it on your own, whether it's journaling or praying and, and you're struggling, you know, find, find a counselor, you know. And if you don't connect with that, that counselor right away after the first few sessions, ask for a referral to someone else. doesn't hurt our feelings. Right. You're going to open up to a complete stranger. It has to be someone you connect with. Um, and I just think, you know, there are some patients I've had where they only needed three sessions with me. They needed a third party to say, hmm. hey, try this. Or, hey, you're doing this. Did you notice this? You know, because we don't tend to listen to our family and friends when it comes to certain things. Or they tell us what we want to hear. So. Yeah, boy, that that's good counsel and getting good counsel from people who have the right qualifications. I was thinking about one of my kids one time who got into a in a car accident and uh, got into a, a a little bit where he was responsible for uh, paying uh, the damages on somebody's car. And he called me one day and he goes, hey, I have to go to small claims court. I said, what happened? He goes, well, I stopped making the payment. And he, I said, well, where'd you get that idea? I mean, you already you guys have a, an agreement. You've got to sign, you know, little deal. Well, he was talking to one of his uncles and the uncle said, no, no, you don't know that. And I said, is he a lawyer? I mean, does he, does he know what kind of counsel to give you? And as you were sharing that, Jessica, I couldn't help but think of the number of times that we as people will go to a friend, go to a well-meaning neighbor, a sibling, something like that, when we really do need major help, you know, in terms of someone who has your expertise and, you know, to be able, I'm encouraged by the fact that you've had people who've only seen you for two or three times and then have gotten on the road to recovery. It doesn't have to be a long, lengthy journey, but it should mm -hmm. start with, you know, take that first step, acknowledge it happened, and then actually uh, to take the, the right steps to getting the right kind of healing, whether with a pastor or a licensed counselor. Uh, Jessica Manfrey, we got 60 seconds left in our time together. I know you mentioned that you'd wrote this book for people in the military, but it's had a you know more universal appeal. What has the response been like for Never Alone since it's been released? I mean, I am not one who likes the light you know shined on me. I I just don't. You know, it's, I run a nonprofit with two other spouses for that reason. I don't want to do things by myself. I want right. the group, and so this is a challenge for me. I was very you know worried. Like, was I transparent enough? Did I write something in a way that's going to resonate? Is it going to be a resource? The response has been unbelievable, you know, mm. just in sharing and like the Coast Guard spouse groups and having spouses download like the audio book and then the next day yell at me, how dare you speak to me and all the things that I was feeling. I've had one you know, oh. tell me that she mm -hmm. got out a counselor and is back to working out and feeling healthier than ever. Mm -hmm. um, but outside of the spouse response, I've had people who are not connected to the military say, I resonate, like, all of this resonated with me. I too wow. felt these things because maybe they had to move away, you know, for their spouse's career, or it was a lonely period because they were losing family members, whatever it was. I think that that was so encouraging that anyone who picked it up or listened to it found something in it. And it just goes to show, I think we are a lonely society. We need each other. Amen. 
Amen. Well, this is a good first place to start. If you are feeling that loneliness, uh, Counselor Jessica Manfrey, uh, who's also a military spouse, knows what it's like from the therapy side, the clinical psychology side, mental health implications of loneliness, but also as a military spouse, one who has experienced some of the great losses of life. Uh, she writes about this very candidly in her new book called Never Alone, Ruth, the Modern Military Spouse, and the God Who Goes With Us. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Jessica, great to get to meet you, and thank you for the work you've put into this book. Appreciate your being with us today here on The Bottom Line. Thank you so much. It was wonderful. Well, what a great dialogue. What a what an interesting conversation. And it's fun to find these books that take a look at the Old Testament and put some fresh eyes on them. Jessica Manfrey's book is called Never Alone. Ruth, the mil modern military spouse and the God who goes with us is the name of the book. It's up at thebottomlineshow.com. We do have a copy of the book to give away here on this Good News Friday. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Um, on the other side of this break, we're going to do something different here to wrap up this half hour here on this Good News Friday. I'm going to talk about another podcast. I'm going to talk about another show, another broadcast that maybe you've seen, maybe you've heard, uh, maybe you're not even familiar with it yet. And it's not every day. I mean, I, I have a feeling something tells me. I don't know why this has been, but I just always share um, here at the Bottom Line Show, I want you to get as much education as possible and as much information as possible. And it's real easy in the media to kind of put ourselves up as the good guys and everybody else is bad. Did you see what Bill Maher said? We'll be playing this clip and blah, 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 blah. Or MSNBC, Rachel Maddow, blah, 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 blah. You know, every now and again, we'll find some good audio like, hey, here's Victor Davis Hanson and let's listen to this. Or did you hear what this guy said about, you know, whatever on CBS? It's amazing, right? But there is a podcast called The Joe Rogan Experience. And it is easily the most powerful podcast on the planet right now. Literally has the world's biggest podcast audience. And you know what's interesting about it? I mean, Joe Rogan was a comedian. He was an MMA fighter. I mean, he used to host, what was that show? Um, it was a show on NBC where they did, people did extreme things like eat bugs or jump out of buildings or something like that. I don't remember what it was called. Fear Factor, that was it, yeah. Anyway, Joe's this short little bald guy. He's got tattoos. He's in his 50s now. He's got this high-pitched voice. It's not, it's not terribly appealing, but it's very compelling. A lot of people, I mean, it is easily the most popular, the Joe Rogan experience, which is just a basic set, Joe on one mic and a guest on the other, and they talk for as long as they talk. He talks to anybody about whatever's interesting. When COVID was happening, he was one of the first people to go online and say, hey, why are we forcing kids to get the vaccine? I don't understand. And, you know, he, he comes at it from a kind of an everyman. He asks a lot of the questions that people in the culture ask. So you can imagine how surprised I was when a guy that I follow on social media by the name of Dr. Stephen Meyer who has a PhD in the philosophy of science. He's the director of the Center for Science and Culture at Discovery Institute and uh, is a former geophysicist. He said, basically, you know, the fact that he says, hey guys, guess what? On July 13th, I was privileged to be a guest on the Joe Rogan experience. Now here's the great thing about podcasts. They don't have a time frame. Like the Bottom Line Show is on. We broadcast live every weekday from 3 to 4.30 p.m. Pacific time, 4 to 5.30 Mountain. And some of our affiliates pick us up for half hour live and the other two half hours recorded. And, you know, it's, it's all kind of all over the map. But we have a hard out, if you will, 
24 minutes and 53 seconds of every hour. That's that's how long our half hours go. And um, we're so, podcasts go on as long as they want to. As long as the host is entertained and as long as the guest is willing to, con- to have a conversation, they do it. Joe Rogan and Dr. Stephen Meyer talked about creation. They talked about faith. They talked for over three hours. And I want to give you some of the highlights about what they talked about. Not going to play them, just going to uh, share them. Um, because it's fascinating that a guy like Joe Rogan, arguably one of the most influential media personalities in the world right now, would devote three hours of his most popular podcast to talking about the Bible, to talking about creation, intelligent designs, and how biblical teachings laid the foundation for modern science. We'll get into that on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. You know the old expression, a picture is worth a thousand words? Well, if you're an expectant mom and you go to a pregnancy health center that is in partnership with Preborn, one picture can say way more than that. And that picture I'm talking about is an ultrasound picture. Every donation that goes to Preborn goes to providing ultrasounds for women who are expecting children and they want to know what all of their options are. When you call 833-850-BABY right now, you give a gift of $28 that provides one ultrasound. But if you give a gift toward the purchase of an ultrasound machine, now that's a $15,000 investment, but every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and lasts a minimum of 10 years. That's 2,500 ultrasounds available to women right now. Think of all the babies, thousands of babies' lives that will be saved by your donation to preborn right now. Call 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Make your best donation right now. $50, $100. Maybe you want to give $15,000. It's completely tax deductible. We've had a couple of bottom line listeners step up and do just that. 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn right now. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, still taking your calls for the rest of this half hour uh, at 800-227-5278. Jessica Manfrey's book on Ruth and how Ruth is basically the modern military spouse. And her, the book Never Alone ex- explains that. Uh, we're giving away a copy of the book today at 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Before the break, I mentioned that Dr. Stephen Meyer, a philosopher of science, the director of the Center for Science and Culture at Discovery Institute in the Pacific Northwest, was invited to be on the Joe Rogan Experience. This is a podcast, video and audio, that has the world's largest podcast audience. This is a guy who makes something like $100 million a year because people go to Spotify and they watch his podcast. If we can secure the entire video, we'll link it up at thebottomlineshow.com. It's over three hours long. Stephen Meyer shared with Joe Rogan, Rogan admitted to him first and foremost, like a lot of people do, that he grew up in a Catholic home, that he had uh, you know, the, the, the same type of trappings that a lot of people do growing up. Um, he said he, he hasn't really backed away from having guests talking about different background things. I mean, he's had... Uh, Seth Dillon, the CEO of Babylon B, uh, Michael Schellenberger, Christian. Uh, it, there are lots of other people, but he's also talked to Richard Dawkins and Neil deGrasse Tyson. Um, but it's interesting because for all of everything that Joe Rogan has done in terms of the broad stroke that he uh, swipes with his uh, his programming, 
It's possible that Dr. Stephen Meyer was the first proponent of intelligent design to actually show up on the program. Uh, Dr. Meyer said, I started having weird existential questions about science when I was 14. I, I broke my leg in a skiing accident and I had all sorts of questions like, well, if I broke my leg in a skiing accident today, what's it going to matter in 100 years? You know, what Basically, what's the meaning of life? Um, Dr. Meyer's been on the Bottom Line Show here to talk about the return of the God hypothesis and um, you know, his, uh, his work uh, going after Darwinian evolution. And he said he started looking at different philosophers. By the time he got into college, he was working as a geophysicist. He attended a conference on the origins of the universe, life and consciousness. And he saw a debate that was largely focused on theists and philosophical materialists. And that's when he said, I started to reconsider my life. Um, he said it was just, it was really interesting. He said he recalled reading a big fat family Bible. He came to Exodus three, where God revealed his name to Moses. And it was the I am that I am, basically, who found me. And, uh, you know, I am that I am doesn't change. And so when Joe Rogan pressed Stephen Meyer on what he meant by something that does not change, Dr. Meyer described this as an eternal self-existent reality and pointed to his later studies that led him to the argument that epistemology uh, was necessity, a question that he said all postmodern philosophy uh, basically turns away from. Here's what Dr. Stephen Meyer said. The fundamental question in modern philosophy that has really just been a stumper and has led to this whole postmodern turn where people don't think there's any objective basis for any reality is the question of the reliability of the human mind. On what basis can we trust the way our minds process all sensory information? Uh, Dr. Meyer then cited the problem of induction, which essentially says that in order to make sense of the present, you have to presuppose the uniformity of nature, which in turn requires you to make reference to sensory observations. And he said, ultimately, that leads you to arguing in a circle. Makes sense. But then Dr. Meyer said, if, one, if a person's presuppositions are grounded in the notion of a benevolent creator, then you no longer have that philosophical dilemma. And he said, quite frankly, science begins at that point. And that's what Stephen Meyer has been able to reconcile and to successfully argue and defend. It's interesting because um, after the conversation, it's, uh, there are some great takeaways that both men had. I want to take a break and, and take the final moments of our time this segment together, talking about what uh, Dr. Stephen Meyer said about Joe Rogan that may explain his popularity, but also... I think it's, there's some tips in here for us in the body of Christ as well, as we consider not only uh, discovering anew what the good news of the gospel actually uh, means to us, but how we can share that with other people who may have the same desire in their heart that we did before we came to faith. We just need to find a better way to present the gospel. This isn't marketing. We're talking about spiritual nature. We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. Welcome back to the bottom line show. I'm Roger Barsh. Good news Friday edition of the broadcast. And we've still got a few moments left for you to get your call in to win the copy of the book by Jessica Manfrey. It's called Never Alone, Ruth, the Modern Military Spouse and the God Who Goes With Us. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. The number to get you through to the bottom line. Uh, when you go to thebottomlineshow.com today, remember that you can also um, find out information on how you can support the Ministry of Preborn. It's amazing how many people 
on the left support abortion without realizing that the baby in the womb is a real human being. But then again, a 4D ultrasound will show you that and that their curiosity kind of stops at that point. 833-850-BABY is the number to call. 833-850-2229. Every gift is doubled up to $4,000 today because of a special match by Dennis Wilson at Wilson Financial. Thank you, Dennis, for that matching gift. 833-850-BABY. Make a donation to Preborn today. The reason I bring up the Preborn thing is we were talking this past half hour about uh, Dr. Stephen Meyer of Discovery Institute, great Christian man of science, who was a guest recently on the Joe Rogan Experience, and Joe basically grilled Dr. Meyer for three hours or so. Afterwards, it was Dr. Meyer who was praising Joe Rogan, and, and here's what he had to say. He said, you know, he definitely put me through my paces, but all in his trademark spirit of open inquiry. Joe is insatiably curious, and he asked many probing questions in an interview that flowed naturally from one deep subject to another. May I submit to us as Christians that we are in a time and a season right now where first and foremost, I I talk about this a lot on the Bottom Line Show and will continue until the Lord returns. We are playing away games here in the United States of America until Jesus comes back. There's no question about that. We have seen the majority of people, look at over the past six years, the number of Americans who say they believe in God has gone from 77% to 67% in six years, and it's on the decline. Less than half of all Americans attend church. Uh, The number of people who read the Bible once a month is now considered regular Bible reading, and that's like 25%. 4% of Americans hold a true biblical worldview. So when it comes to sharing your faith, it's more than just saying, hey, come to my church. We have an awesome youth group. We've got a killer worship band you're going to love. No one's thinking about that. They're thinking about themselves. They're thinking about their own intellect. They, in many cases, think that they are the center of their moral universe. But take a cue from Joe Rogan. There's a reason why his podcast is so popular. He's an everyman. He doesn't have a PhD, but he's insatiably curious and asks many probing questions. He knows enough about certain issues to ask the questions that he knows his his listeners, his viewers, want to have answered. And he had the courage to bring a guy like Stephen Meyer on, even though Joe Rogan is the Christian. He said, give me that biblical worldview about intelligent design. I think my viewers will find it fascinating. Why don't we take the same attitude instead of saying, I already know the answers here and you just need to agree with me. Let's get to know the people who disagree with us and find out how we can show them the truth. The truth isn't going to change. And that's good news for us. But the reality is, if we're going to win some to Christ, we need to be more winsome and likable in staying in relationship with them. That is good news, and that's the bottom line. For our KCBC audience, enjoy the rest of your afternoon, and Dr. Rabbi Schneider, rather, with Discovering the Jewish Jesus, coming up next. For those who remain on the network, a fascinating new development in the transgender debate here in the United States, and the number of people who are detransitioning and then taking legal action against the doctors who mutilated their bodies is on the rise and they're citing a faith in God as the reason why they're finding the fortitude to follow this path of action. We'll get into why I believe this is good news coming up on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. Good news, good news, good news. Welcome to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and we'd like to start our program. Well, actually, we'd like to do the whole program on Fridays, focusing on good news. Think about this for just a moment. 
when we take into consideration how many lousy headlines there are during the course of the week, the course of the day on the internet and on your local television newscasts and even in your newspapers, if you still get them. The other day, Lisa and I were out for a walk in the neighborhood and we saw one of our neighbors just moved into a new neighborhood and, and she was outside. She kind of peeked her head out the door and, and uh, we were kind of teasing at the fact that it looked like she was waiting for her newspaper to show up. And she's literally, I mean, there are several hundred homes in this new development. She's probably the only one who gets a newspaper every morning, but God bless you, Lynette. I hope you really enjoyed reading that. Um, when we talk about good news, statistically, you find that the more people look at uh, bad news, the more depressed they are, the more people hear good news, the more encouraged they are. The question that we have in the culture right now is how much of the good news we get is actually true. So good news that's actually true is beneficial. And that's what we focus on here on The Bottom Line Show. Now, there was a television, I think it was a CBS affiliate in Los Angeles years ago, actually tried an experiment where they focused more on positive stories than negative to see if their ratings would go up, and they did. But in the news media, you know how it is. If it bleeds, it leads is the idiom in the news media. And that simply just means if there's death and tragedy, people we're, we're compassionate, empathetic people. We're far more drawn to stories that are yeah, sad. You know, did you hear that so-and-so, like LeBron James's kid a couple weeks ago, uh, wound up in the hospital, had a cardiac arrest? You know, oh my gosh, Brony, is it Brony or Brony James? Um you know, wound up there and, and click, 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 click. Everybody reads that story because you have empathy for an 18-year-old kid collapsing in practice and having a heart attack for crying out loud. That's, you know, not great news. But at the same time, if you can hear good news, I mean, good news isn't always happy, clappy, ribbons and rainbows and puppies and, you know, lollipops and that type of stuff. That that Those are stories that make you feel good. But true good news involves people and situations where, first of all, the good news of the gospel prevails. I mean, that, that's how I define good news. Good news is the good news. And it was interesting because I was watching a, uh, a video clip. It was at a, a Christian documentary that was released a couple weeks ago and a, a fairly large church produced it. So they had all their media handled by the church and no one's ever heard of this project, unfortunately. And we would have promoted the daylights out of it if they'd contacted us, but they didn't. So I was just reading about it. And I found it interesting because the person who was being interviewed said, well, the, the good news about this project is it preaches the gospel. And I thought, okay. And then I looked at the subject matter of the movie and the subject matter of the movie was about churches that stayed open during the pandemic. And the legal battle that they had with, you know, county and state and federal officials to stay open. And I, and I asked myself, okay, and I'm going to be really pedantic here. How does that preach the gospel? And, and, I, and I meant that, <laughs> I questioned myself seriously. How does it preach the gospel? The gospel is we're sinful fallen people who cannot free ourselves. And the only way we have any sort of hope of reconciling with God is through the person of Jesus Christ and his blood and sacrifice on the cross. And if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead to pay the penalty for your sin after he was crucified, dead and buried, on, after crucified on the cross, dead and buried, and then God raised him from the dead, and in resurrection power, he conquers death, he conquers sin, he conquers hell. So because Jesus Christ has conquered sin, death, and hell, then he's conquered your sin and my sin too. Do you believe that? Well, I believe that. 
I, I live that every day. As a matter of fact, there are some mornings where I wake up three, four in the morning, um, just kind of with that prayer on my lips. Thank you, God, for your mercy. Thank you for forgiving me for my sin. Thank you for making a way and allowing me to walk in this. I mean, I, I, they, the people who talk about the, the, the question, do we, you know, are we saved? Are we not saved? And uh, I heard a very wise counselor one time say, yeah, you know, the person who asks that question is the person who doesn't need to ask that question. <laughs> ironically but the person who's like oh yeah i got this thing with god and i'm fine and i run a ministry and i do this that and the other thing may be on the receiving end of depart from me i never knew you but i'll be honest with you the the presentation of a documentary film about a church that stayed open during the pandemic does not necessarily preach the gospel to me it tells me who god is it tells me that these people are committed to their faith in christ it tells me that they're committed to biblical principles like we should not give up meeting together, that our allegiance is to, to God. But if I'm an outsider watching this film, I didn't hear the story of salvation. I mean, maybe I, I haven't seen the film. Maybe in there's a powerful gospel presentation in there that would encourage people to come to faith in Christ. But, you know, I'll tell you, I, I'll take a movie like Sound of Freedom any day that has what I consider to be a gospel message in the fact that the rescuers are working diligently to free those who are bound in sin, uh, innocents who have been misled and brought into sinful activity, who if they don't get rescued will die in that sin. And I, I'm, I'm not sure, <laughs> I'll be honest with you, I'm not sure that anyone who is prosecuting a church for staying open during COVID falls in the same category as someone who's buying and selling children for sex. So that being the case, Good News Friday for us is about sharing the good news of the gospel. And the gospel is that you can have everlasting life in Jesus Christ. You don't have to be uh, victimized by all the sins of your past, you can turn away. You can literally, it's funny to hear people who say, I grew up in the church and I was an evangelical and now I've, uh, I'm an ex-vangelical. I, I, I've, 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 what do they call it? Uh, they um, deconstructed my faith, you know, or whatever it was. And that is very popular in the progressive world. Oh, yes. Oh, that's so good. Uh, well, Kevin Max from uh, DC Talk is an ex-vangelical. You know, he, he, he detransitioned, you know, from his faith in Christ. And now he's, he's, he's a skeptic. He's spiritual or whatever. I mean, I just use him as an example. I don't know where Kevin is in his journey. We've never met. I just read that, you know, this is a guy who kind of grew up singing the songs and reciting all the verses and was in a popular Christian band and made a lot of money and toured the world. And then at one point went, wait, is that all, all there is to salvation? Because if that's it, I don't want it. If you listen to the teaching ministry of the Briscoe family and telling the truth with, uh, with the late Stuart Briscoe, and his wife, Jill, and their son, Pete, Pete left his pastorate and now runs a podcast called Kind Evangelical about a guy who says, hey, I grew up in this and I was a pastor for 20 years and now even I'm just asking questions about why do we do what we do the way we do. The good news of the gospel is great because whether we screw up church or not, the gospel is still true. Whether we misquote scripture, the gospel is still true. Whether we, uh, as, as people who want to follow God, I mean, I think that the sincere believer who's new in their faith is gonna make mistakes and we've all been through that. 
The question then is, do we keep making the same mistake because it's profitable for us or do we move in a different direction? And when I think about people who are trying to embrace the LGBTQ community with the good news of the gospel and wind up affirming people who want to change their gender or live in same-sex relationships or this, that, and the other thing, I have to ask the question, why? I think of a woman who I consider to be a friend, Laura Perry Smalls. Uh, Laura is married to a guy named Perry, which I think is great. And uh, the, we haven't seen each other in probably a, a little over a year. She um, had just gotten married uh, right after the National Religious Broadcasting Convention. And we were very happy about that. But Laura actually, at one point, identified as a man called Jake. When she, um, she grew up in a Christian home, uh, she said mom was one of those on fire but kind of uptight Christian ladies and dad was just kind of chill, kind of mellow and went to church along with mom. And she, Laura has a sister who's a classically trained musician. I believe she's a French hornist uh, player for like the Israeli symphony or something like very, very well uh, respected and known. And then Laura comes along and hits 18, 19, 20 years of age or whatever and says, hey, you know what? I really identify more like with the guys in my world than with the women. So I choose to be a man told her mom and dad. She said it broke their hearts. She said, from now on, call me Jake. I'm going to start taking testosterone. I'm going to be a guy. And you've heard me share Laura's story many times before. I don't want to gloss over it, but she, um, she wound up uh, getting in the world of IT, uh, learned how to build websites and things of that nature. And Laura's mom kept praying for her, kept in relationship with her, even though she was calling herself him at the time. And finally, uh, it just said, hey, my women's Bible study has, uh, we want to set up a web page for the group and where we can put the studies and record them and stream them and that type of stuff. Can you help us set it up? And uh, Laura said, sure. Well, Laura, as Jake, said, sure. And she began reading the content and listening to the studies and God really convicted her. And finally, at one point, she had a dream and it was her standing before God on judgment, talking about judgment day. And she said, God asked her one question. He said, when the time comes for judgment, what name am I going to call you? Am I going to call you Laura or am I going to call you Jacob? And she said, I said, I answered Laura in my dream. And he said, that's right. And she said, it was like God was giving her mercy for the decision she'd made. She began to go back and question everything she'd learned about the transgender movement. And she said, I began to realize something. Everybody that was in my world was all, oh yeah, Laura, you got to do this. I mean, you know, this is the way, I mean, you, you, you got to be Jake. I mean, you all this affirmation, she said, but I realized the only people that I had surrounded myself with were other people who were transsexual or transgender, as it were. And when I started talking to people who weren't, they didn't condemn me, they loved me, but also I began to realize too, I was going to have the surgery, she said, but I couldn't afford it. My insurance wouldn't pay for it. And I didn't have that kind of money. So she began to what they call detransition. And now for the past decade, I believe, she's been part of Blackstone Ministries, uh, which is, uh, or she, yeah, uh, which is a great ministry that helps people uh, who have been in gender confused relationships find clarity and healing and hope. What's interesting is these detransitioners, now the left has been trying to uh, you know, silence them, trying to literally take away their voice. If you are a gay person or you are a transgender person who wants to transition from male to female or female to male, the left loves you all over you. You're our hero. You're in the gay pride parade. You're whatever. But if you are that 
young woman who wants to become a man who then says, wait, I want to trans back into a woman. Well, nobody has time for you in the LGBTQ community, which I think is very interesting. LGBTQ, the Q stands for queer or questioning. Wouldn't there be grace for that? Uh, As we continue, Good News Friday story talking about people who fall into the category of what we call detransitioners, three in particular, who are sharing their testimony about why they are actually taking legal action against the doctors who they say permanently disfigured them because of body-altering surgeries and hormones that actually created more mental health problems than they solve. It's coming up next as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account, Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. The Christian Post has been a spectacular publication for sharing the good news of the gospel with people who were in the transgender community for in particular who have opted to detransition uh, they've been hearing from thousands of parents and grandparents who say my son my daughter wants to transition uh their my grandkids and i'll never see them again if i don't use the right pronouns that type of thing and uh, it, it's been interesting to see how many more people are standing up and saying, hey, wait, I went through all of that. I went through surgery. I went through cross-sex hormone therapy, as it's called. The left calls this gender-affirming care. But more and more people who are, were, or I should say, were transgender are tra- detransitioning. They're transferring back to the, uh, the gender that God gave them at birth. And the reason that they're now taking their case to the media is they're actually filing legal action against the doctors who perform these surgeries. And you know what's interesting about this? I didn't realize until a couple of years ago that the CDC and the American Medical Association, at least here in the States, uh, does not have a protocol for Fed- Food and Drug Administration, FDA approval for the cross-sex hormones or for the transgender surgeries. There's no, I mean, it, it's kind of like, Roe versus Wade was, quote unquote, settled federal law for almost 50 years based on one Supreme Court decision. But there was never a federal law that said a woman can have an abortion legally. It was always that Supreme Court case. And there were state laws. But it's amazing to me how once you pulled the curtain back on Roe versus Wade and it was overturned, half of America became legally pro-life. Isn't that crazy? 24 states have laws that basically ban most, if not all, abortions. 
26 states plus the District of Columbia have abortion laws that are pretty aggressive, especially in the People's Republic of California, People's Republic of Colorado, people in the uh, uh, the Union of Socialist Michigan states. Uh, we've got to come up with something different than the People's Republic. But that the abortion basically on demand without question, no exceptions or exemptions right up until labor and delivery. That's where the left is going. So when it comes to transgenderism, it's like, hey, if you think you might be a different gender, you should transition. But once you transition, you can't change back, you know? And a woman called Michelle Zachinga is uh, a resident of uh, Toronto, Ontario. Uh, she previously identified as a man and now has detransitioned or is detransitioning back into her original feminine gender. She filed a claim in Ontario Superior Court of Justice. She's accusing eight doctors of offering her hormones and body altering surgeries instead of talking to her about her mental health needs. She tweeted out about the lawsuit back in February. She said that she took legal action in November of 2022 against the Canadian healthcare providers that facilitated her transition. According to a blog post in 2021, uh, and she wrote this for a, uh, uh, let's see, uh, there's a nonpartisan group in Canada called the Gender Dysphoria Alliance. This is a young woman who struggled with anxiety and depression as a kid. She began to think her problems were related to gender identity, and so here's the big deal. She met with a Toronto-based support group called Gender Journey back in 2010, and this was online didn't go to Johns Hopkins or one of these other uh, university-driven things where medical doctors were talking about it. Instead, it was, um, hey, you know what? You think you're, uh, uh, you think you're, <laughs> think you're transgender? Well, we got a bunch of other people that will tell you that you are. So she started with the support group in 2010. She started taking testosterone in 2012, later underwent a double mastectomy. Now, it's interesting. She said, for a brief period of time, taking synthetic hormones, having her breast removed, she said it made her feel really good initially. Trust me, the same thing happens in the sanctity of life world. Women who are debating whether or not to have an abortion, if you've talked to that woman a week after she had the abortion, she's elated, she's relieved. All the pressure on that decision is gone and she's feeling a lot better about her decision. Now, ask that same woman how she feels six months after the abortion. Ask that same woman how she feels a year after, five years after, and the level of depression and thoughts of suicide go up 500%. Now, it's interesting. Um, with, when Michelle Z Zakinga started taking hormones, had her breast removed, she said initially she felt really good, and then she didn't. She had a hard time with social anxiety. She had a hard time making friends. Because she took male hormones, she gained between 70 and 80 pounds. And all of a sudden, her body dysmorphia was really weird. Um, in 2018, she had a partial hysterectomy. And yet today, she'll tell you she really doesn't know why she did it. The year before that surgery, she was diagnosed with a variety of mental health disorders, including ADD or ADHD. She was on the autism spectrum. And she said, you know, it's interesting. In that whole mental health uh, journey, not once did anyone identify gender dysphoria as a problem. 
So basically, here's a woman who was depressed, had social anxiety, she's on the autism spectrum, and she began to think, I wonder if it's my gender that's causing this, that maybe, you know, I'm living as a woman and I should be a man. And she goes online and all she gets is yeses. Oh, yeah, yeah, you should be a man. You should be a man. She said it finally, it happened at the start of the pandemic in 2020. She said, I had some time for reflection. I had experienced a bit of a breakthrough. And she said, that's when I had the biggest revelation of all. I asked my loved ones to start calling me by my birth name. I started identifying as a woman again. And she said, quite frankly, now I'm beginning to really accept myself as a woman. But emotionally, she's kind of a wreck. She said, the fact that I took a double mastectomy and a partial hysterectomy, that I'll never be able to bear children, it's devastating. But she said, quite frankly, the transgender community that once supported her is now rejecting her as well. And so for emotional and medical trauma, she's suing the doctors. You know, I think the more that we hold these people accountable for taking advantage of folks who are dealing with emotional issues and being told, oh yeah, it's your gender, that's the problem. It's one of the biggest lies of our generation. And the good news is seeing more and more people who are having time for reflection, are getting real about wanting to detransition and getting back to the way God originally made them. Some final thoughts on this. Not so much that the lawsuits are a good thing. I think they are because they'll get somebody's attention. But the number of people who are stepping up and saying, hey, here's the thing. I'm now suing my doctor because of this transgender surgery that I had It's very interesting to see how the faith component is helping people find out who they really are. Let's talk more about that on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. You know, I'll never forget the moment I met my grandson, Isaac. It actually wasn't in the delivery room. That was the first time I held him. But the first time I actually met Isaac was when I went with his mother to her ultrasound appointment. And the ultrasound technician showed us a picture of that eight-week-old baby in the womb. Uh, you know, I encourage you to contact Preborn right now and make a donation to provide that same experience for another family. Maybe there's someone in your family who's expecting a child right now. They've had the ultrasound. You've seen the picture. You've heard the heartbeat. And you think, wow, how can I bless someone else. Studies show that 83% of the women who go to a preborn clinic and see that ultrasound either choose to become mothers and raise the children on their own or release the child for adoption. It cuts the risk of it cuts the rate of abortion dramatically. But your donations are necessary right now to get more ultrasound machines into preborn health clinics. Give a gift online when you go to kbrightradio.com and click the banner that says preborn. Cute little baby there wrapped up in a blanket. Or give a gift over the phone. 833-850-BABY, 833-850-BABY, that's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn, make a donation. Every ultrasound machine could do 250 ultrasounds per year, so give a gift right now. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh as we wrap up today's edition of the broadcast, taking a look at three brave women who have actually stepped forward and said, enough is enough. I was miserable and I wanted to uh, change my gender. I thought for sure that this is something that would actually be, uh, uh, you know, something that would, uh, you know, would make me feel better. Um, Now we're finding more and more people who are experiencing 
um, you know, osteoporosis. There, of course, the, the sterilization, you know, that they have. Uh, it's just, and of course, the mental uh, challenges that people wind up having, the emotional distress because of gender dysphoria that is treated as, oh, well, you know, it's, uh, you're in the wrong gender. What's interesting about this is the connection that there is to the abortion industry. And one of the ways that so many people have been duped into thinking that um, their tax dollars going to an organization like Planned Parenthood are actually happening. First of all, when the left tells you that what we've just been describing is so-called gender-affirming care, they don't have any statistical or medical proof that it is. The fact that you affirm the, the position of a child who is having gender dysphoria is the same as I saw a meme about this that was, it was kind of funny, but then it was kind of sad about a father who said, uh, ever since my son watched uh, the movie Peter Pan, he really I, thinks he's Captain Hook. So I'm trying to find a pediatrician that will cut off his left arm and replace it with a metal hook. We wouldn't do that with our kids. I mean, obviously, this is a cartoon character. It's a fantasy. But, and some kids really identify with it. My grandson Isaac wants to be a robot sometimes. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> granddaughter Riley went through a season where she was various animals, you know. She really identified with them. We would never consider her to be trans species or him to be trans anything other than human. But now you see an organization like Planned Parenthood. If you wonder, why did Donald Trump, I mean, he was such a pro-life president. How is it that Planned Parenthood was able to get even more funding during the Trump administration than any other president in the history of America? And the reason is because they have shifted to becoming a dispensary for cross-sex replacement therapy hormones. The American Medical Association and the American medical world knows that once a person begins to transition, they will be taking those cross-sex hormones for the rest of their life. So if you can get a five-year-old boy to think he's a girl, he will have to take estrogen from your clinic for the rest of his life. In addition to having Lupron to stop the, uh, the flow of testosterone so they can castrate him and remove his testicles, and that's what happens. That's the so-called gender-affirming care. But here's the deal. Though there have been a few people in history who've had situations where scripture talks about guys who wind up becoming eunuchs because of no fault of their own. And there have been people who have been born with conflicting genitalia. The vast majority of people who think they are quote unquote transgender right now are just being manipulated. There's some other reason going on. And Molech is laughing. Have your baby and then let me kill it or put yourself in a situation where you can't reproduce, you can't be fruitful and multiply. The good news is more and more people are hearing the gospel and they're accepting the call to Christ, not the call to the enemy. We will continue to win these battles until ultimately we claim the victory in the war that Jesus won on Calvary. That is good news, and that's the bottom line.